We're in the uh, eighth week of a series we started, obviously, eight weeks ago, right? Okay. Uh, one more week after this week, and we'll be finished with a series uh, dealing with the whole thing of relationships, and we've been talking about this that this summer. We took a one-week break, one week uh, talking about church planting, and uh, be in prayer for um, uh, Ignite Church that's going to be starting over in Sunnyland. We talked about that, and uh, looking forward to what God's going to do there as well. I actually had a couple of couples from our church who were uh, fairly new to the church, and one of them lived in Sunnyland, who expressed interest in being a part of their launch team. So um, just uh, let you know what's going on there. Uh, this morning, though, we're going to be talking about this whole thing about, uh, uh, about relationships again. And we've been looking at a verse in Scripture that's important. Before we talk about that, though, let me go a little bit forward. Um, I haven't enough time because last, uh, last um, uh, ser- service, we actually finished in 55 minutes, which was the world record. Uh, for the, so I don't know if we're going to break the record or not. We weren't trying to go fast. We just kept it everything quickly. Um, but anyway, uh, this morning, uh, this fall, I'm looking forward to the mid-September. We're going to start a series called Transformed. And our small groups and our, um, and, uh, and our, and our uh, services and everything going to be around the same topic. Um, we uh, began uh, basically 13 years ago when I first came with a series that helped us to really grow called The Purpose Driven Life, uh, if you remember that. Uh, that was the, we were one of the first churches in America to be a part of that uh, initial group that was doing that, and, and uh, one of the series from Saddleback with Rick Warren, and it was great. I remember then uh, learning about alliteration in, in messages. Uh, Rick Warren is the master of alliteration. He talks, like, makes words rhyme and everything. Everything he does in sermons, I don't know how he d- does it. He must have his staff of poets or something that uh, help him to do that, but uh, uh, it kind of helped me uh, thinking about today's message as well. But we're going to be talking about Transformed. And Transformed is going to be a series for um, seven weeks that talks about how God transforms different areas of our lives, our spiritual life, our physical life, our emotional life, um, all these different areas of life and how God does that. And one of the things we're going to do in our small groups and in your devotional, there's going to be a journal that you can purchase that will actually have uh, places to do sermon notes, uh, places to do uh, uh, devotional times that go along with everything, and small group notes as well, all in one book for like 12 bucks. It's really, it's really good, and it's the greatest resource I think I've seen so far as far as small groups and kind of keeping us cohesive in what we're doing, and we'll have to offer them probably early August, I mean uh, early September to sell, and uh, I encourage those of you, we'll be talking more about groups as well, but we're looking forward to that as well, what's going to be going on, God's going to be doing there. But today, as we can kind of come close to the conclusion of this, next week the conclusion of this series, we've been talking about this whole verse in Galatians chapter 5 that says this. It says, but when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, let's stop there. How does that happen? Well, number one, you have to give your life to Christ. That's the first step. But the Bible tells us that when the Holy Spirit, uh, when we give our life to Christ and we commit our life to Christ, one of the things that happens in our life is the Holy Spirit comes into our life. Now, how that happens, how that works... Uh, there's all kind of speculation, but basically the Spirit is a, empowers our lives to do certain things because it says when it controls our lives, He will produce, the Holy Spirit will produce this kind of fruit in us. This is not stuff we conjure up ourselves. We can try hard in these areas. We've talked about this for eight weeks now. But these are things that the Holy Spirit will, will, will work in our lives to produce in our life. And we call it the fruit of the Spirit. And these are the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then I wanted to add on this week and next week, the last part, verse 24, which says this, those who belong to Jesus Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. 
Basically, this whole deal we're talking about here is about taking, what, taking ourselves and, and setting it aside and letting Christ move, uh, move in our life, and the Holy Spirit began to produce in us some things that would not happen otherwise in our lives. So that's what we've been talking about. And we've been talking about how these things interact with our relationships and how they make our relationships better in a real sense. So this week we're on number eight, which is the uh, gentleness. Gentleness. You're going like, gentleness? That's, what's that mean? Well, I think we have a lot of misconceptions. But you know, the scripture says in Philippians 4, 5, it says this, let your gentleness be evident to all. Now, I realize what time of year this is. What's getting ready to happen in about three weeks? Football season, come on, you know, you know some of you will be acting like idiots at football games in about three weeks. You'll be either in Metamora, at Washington, Chicago Bears, Green Bay Packers, Minnesota, I don't know, I don't, Indianapolis, I don't know what, who you root for, okay? You know, but you, you go to games and you go crazy. People do that. And the last thing you think of is gentleness, right? Gentleness and football does not go together. It just doesn't go together. You don't win any football games by being gentle, you know? And, and it's certainly, and, and also it's probably certainly not going to work at the office because being gentle will get you run over. That's what we usually think. I started looking for synonyms for gentleness and, and I didn't get much further uh, because I found two words that were synonyms for, for gentleness. Uh, the first was meekness, which rhymes with weakness, you know, I'm going like, oh man, this will be a tough sermon. And then the next thing, the other synonym uh, for, for gentleness was, uh, was humility. And so I knew he was in trouble because we live in this dog-eat-dog world and uh, we're in this survivalistic mode so often. If we don't take care of ourselves, who's going to? And when we hear the word gentleness, we don't think of something we want to have. We're thinking of Bambi meeting Thumper. Or something, you know, I mean, that shows my age, you know. Uh, or, or, or Benji taking care of kittens or something. I don't know, you know, I don't know what the current uh, things are. This is when my, my kids were, were kid, little, little kids, you know. That's the kind of things we think of, these little, like, little kitty things. Now, it, it, you, you're saying it might be okay on Sunday morning, Pastor, but it's not going to work on Monday at the office, this gentleness thing. Or will it? Or will it? Will gentleness be something that really works in our life and help us to live life and have better relationships? Because I think you'll be surprised that there is a power in gentleness that gets people's attention. Um, it's kind of radical because the word gentleness has really lost its meaning in our culture. It doesn't mean what it used to mean. Today it's a slur. If you call a man gentle, he'll, he'll be insulted because you're supposed to be manly. And gentleness and manliness just don't seem to go together. But the issue is... Um, what is gentleness? What, is, what does it say that when the Holy Spirit works in our life, controls our life, he will produce well, something called gentleness in our life? What is gentleness there? Well, gentleness is not weakness. Gentleness means this. It means strength under control. It means strength under control. Um, the Greek word uh, defined, defined here is the word, it referred to a wild horse that was tamed or a medicine that could tame a fever. It was talking about this, this thing of strength under control. Um, I, I heard this story years ago, and I don't know if it's true or not, but, but most of you heard of the Hell's Angels, right? Hell's Angels, anybody know who the Hell's Angels are? You're not a member of them, but you know who they are, okay? Uh, Hell's Angels started in the late, late 1940s, and uh, they had uh, chapters all over the world. It started in California and Pasadena, somewhere around there. And um, 
There's a story that went around that, um, <laughs> I don't know if it's true, but it's, I thought it was a good story. Um, it was a Hells Angels group that was out kind of like out in the, somewhere in the high desert country of California. They were riding through this town. There's about a dozen of them on their bikes. They went out to this restaurant, and they stopped in this kind of diner that's kind of on a, on a deserted, kind of a deserted highway out there. And it was also a place that truck drivers going through here would stop as well. And so they went into these Hells Angels, went into this diner, and there was this truck driver sitting over in the corner eating this dinner by himself. And uh, one of the Hells Angels walked over to him, deciding to just to mess with him, and, and he picked up the plate of spaghetti, and uh, the guy was eating it, and, and dumped it over his head, took his beer, and poured it over his head on top of the spaghetti. And then he, uh, uh, and the truck driver just sat there and didn't do anything. He just sat there. And finally he got up, he paid his bill, and he walked out. And the Hells Angel looked over at the uh, uh, bartender and he said, you know, he ain't much of a man, is he? And the bartender said, he ain't much of a driver either because he just ran over 12 choppers on his way out of here. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that is a definition of gentleness, okay? But that was strength under control, okay? <laughs> strength used at a proper time. So I don't know if that, you know, that's, I thought it was just a good story. Anyway, um, we want to talk about today, what we want to talk about today with our time together is really this. How does gentleness work in our lives? What is the biblical definition of it, and how does it work out in our lives? And so I want to give you five ways to be gentle and how it works out in our relationships, five biblical ways that it works out in relationships. So um, if, you have, if you're taking notes and you like the outline on the back, this is where you start to fill in blanks. The first one is this. The first way that gentleness works in our life is this, is when someone serves you, be understanding, not demanding. When someone serves you, be understanding, not demanding. Philippians 2 says this, don't look out for your own, only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So the question is this, how do you treat people who serve you? People like waitresses, secretaries, clerks, tellers at the bank, fast food operators. Are you understanding or demanding? A couple of months, or I'm trying to think, I think it was around Father's Day, my wife and I went over to one of our favorite restaurants, Biagi's. And uh, we went over there for, for lunch after Sunday church, and, and at that time, there was a, um, <laughs> there was a tra- we got a, a, a two waiters. <laughs> one was a trainee, and one was, was a, 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 I guess somebody had been working there for a while, okay, training the trainee. And uh, the trainee was trying his best. He was just kind of, I don't know if he'd never served before or whatever, and he was fumbling everything, you know, he was just kind of like messing up a lot, and and he kept apologizing for everything, you know, along the way. And, 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 but the, the, the person that was helping him didn't help a lot because what they were doing is kind of rolling their eyes every time the, the, uh, the trainee messed up and, and not really helping the trainee, you know. And I'm going like, wow. And, and so when, the, you know, when it was all over with, they got our food out there all right. Nobody spilled anything on us, even though it, you know, kind of came in weird orders. Um, and, and uh, I was going out the door, and I looked at the trainee, and he was standing there kind of looking defeated. And I said, you know, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Um, I said, how long have you been here? He said, I've been here two weeks. And, I, and he said, he said uh, I said, do you get uh, this year? Uh, he said, I've been here twice on Sunday and a couple other days. I said, do you get a lot of people there on Sundays? He said, yeah, always when church lets out. He said, it's the toughest crowd I deal with. And I'm going, <laughs> That is not a real good thing for us to understand. You know, I, I thought about this. I wonder, what is the reputation of our church at nearby restaurants? 
Please do not wear your Great Oaks name tag if you're going to be nasty to people, okay? Uh, you know, what, what, what is, are, are Great Oaks people understanding or are they demanding? Gentleness means strength under control. It's always easy to be demanding. People overseas, uh, Americans have a reputation overseas of being very, very pushy, very rude people. Very demanding, not understanding. The secret of, of great service is to treat people with respect. So the first thing, gentleness means when someone serves you, be understanding, not demanding. Secondly, number two, when somebody disappoints you, be gentle and not judgmental. Gentle and not judgmental. Galatians 6.1, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, remember what this whole series is about, Galatians 5, which says when you're controlled by the Spirit, this is what will be produced in your life, you who, are, who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. If someone's caught in sin. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. So the question is, how do you react when somebody messes up in your life? When somebody that you work with or somebody that's in your family or whatever, do you get excited about it? I told you so. I could see it coming. Only a fool would have done that. Do you have a secret sense of satisfaction when other people blow it? Gentleness is when people disappoint you. You're gentle, not judgmental. Romans 14.1 says this. It says, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Happiness comes when you can accept people who have not attained your level of perfection. That was sarcasm. Because none of us are perfect in any way, but so often we forget it. And so when somebody fails, the problem is, is, is you know, this whole thing of, of, of gentleness is being, you know, when somebody disappoints you, be gentle, not judgmental. You know what the one thing that angered Jesus more than anything else, if you look at the whole of Scripture? You know what the one thing was that angered Jesus more than anything? Jesus got angry, by the way. He did. Anger is not wrong if it's channeled in the right way for something constructive. The one thing that angered Jesus most more than anything else in his life was self-righteous people who were always judging others. He was always having these conversations, these tough conversations with Pharisees and, and Sadducees and these religious leaders because they were constantly judging others. They were looking down on others. But the Holy Spirit wants to change us and help us to learn, to learn gentleness in our life. Gentleness is strength under control, which means that we're, when somebody disappoints us, we're gentle, not judgmental. Number three, when someone disagrees with you, be tender without surrender. Be tender without surrender. The fact is, folks, and I think you all know this, if, if you've lived for any time at all, you can't please everybody in life, right? You can't please everybody. By the time you please crowd A, crowd B is going to be, you know, messing with you. Uh, one minute you're the hero, the next minute you're the zero. You need to learn to be tender without surrender. The test of maturity in life is how you handle disagreeable people. Anybody can, you know, can lash out and, and, and with disagreeable people, but the, the maturity is, is when people irritate you, people like to contradict you, people who like to get in arguments, like to quarrel with you. You have three alternatives on how you deal with them. Number one, you can retreat in fear. Some people pull away from people who are disagreeable. Number two, you can attack in anger. Some people, that's your response. But the Bible says that the person who is gentle is a person who responds in love. Responds in love when someone disagrees with you. Gentleness is, gentleness is not compromising your convictions. Gentleness is, you can be tender without surrender. It's not being passive. It's not being a doormat. It's, always letting, it's, not, always, it's not, always letting the other person, not always letting the other person have their own way. That's not gentleness. That's weakness. And it's not the same thing. 
It's also not reacting in anger. If somebody dis- disagrees with you, um, it's not lashing out in anger. Uh, I love history, and I love historical figures, and I like to read biographies and books by historical figures. And one of the things years ago I read was a book by, of all people, General George S. Patton. <laughs> Remember George Patton? If you've seen the movie, you're probably going like, that guy's got a nasty mouth. Yes, he does. Okay? Or yes, he did. Excuse me. It was past tense. But the thing is, he, he was a great leader. Regardless of what you, know, you think about him as a person, he was a great leader in some ways. And Patton wrote a book years ago called Patton's Principles for Managers Who Mean It. I thought that was a great title. And in the book, he's got a lot of one-liners, and one of them is, you never fight a battle where winning doesn't make any difference. You never fight a battle where winning doesn't make any difference. So often, we just, we just have these trivial pursuits about all kinds of things that really don't make any difference because somebody just gets us riled up. Is that, a, is that a word we use in the Midwest, riled up? We use them in the South all the time, riled up. That means you get your hackles. You know what hackles are? Okay, thank you. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. I have to define terms sometimes. I forget I'm Southern and this is Midwest. Uh, so even after 13 years, I still use Southernisms all the time. Um, but the deal is, is that so often we, 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 we get into, we have these arguments with people who simply, it doesn't make any difference when it's all over with. Who cares? I love what it says in Proverbs 15.1. I mean, I could have pulled out 50 verses in, in dealing with this. But one on Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer deflects anger. But harsh words make tempers flare. Once again, the whole idea of gentleness. A gentle answer deflects anger. Strength under control. And also in James chapter 3 it says, Wherever there is jealousy or selfish ambition, there will be disorder. But wisdom from above is pure, peaceful, gentle, and friendly. Gentleness means strength under control. An argumentative spirit indicates an ego problem. If you like to quarrel, if you like to get into arguments, you got an ego problem. Because you always have to prove your own way. Have your own way. Jesus says that a person who is gentle is happy because he is tender without surrender. Gentleness is learning to disagree agreeably. So when people disagree with you, you can be passive, a doormat. You can go ahead or, or you can fight tooth and nail or you can respond in love. You have those three options. One of the things that, that uh, when I was studying for this that, that kind of stood out to me as well is that, you know that gentleness is a qualification for spiritual leadership? In 2 Timothy, Second uh, Timothy chapter uh, 2, verse 24 and 25, it says this, a servant of the Lord must not do what? Quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. Do you know how hard that verse is? You're going to like, but pastor, you're a pastor. No, I'm a person. Sometimes people in church make me mad. And you know how, how hard it is to uh, be kind to everyone? <laughs> Let me tell you, without the Holy Spirit controlling, directing my life, I would not be kind to everyone. But I try to do that under the Spirit's power. And generally, I succeed. Not because I'm a great person, but simply because I've let the Spirit control me in this area of life. A servant of the Lord must not, be, must not quarrel, must not be kind. Let me start again. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach, and be patient with difficult people. And then it says later on, perhaps God will, will change these people's hearts. Um, we need to learn to be understanding, not demanding, 
with people who serve us. We need to learn to be gentle, not judgmental, with people who let us down. We need to uh, be tender without surrender when somebody disagrees with us. Number four, another thing that, that happens when we're gentle as well is when someone corrects you, be teachable, not unreachable. When someone corrects you, be teachable, not unreachable. Gentleness is a gentleness means strength under control means a, a teachable spirit. Gentle people are eager to learn. Gentle people don't pretend they know it all. How many of you think that it's, it's possible to know everything about everything? The only person that knows that's God. Okay? I know a lot of stuff about some things. But I know, let me tell you what happened earlier. First service, before the first service, the band was back here, and they were, you know, guess what they were trying to get me to do? Labor Day weekend, this is, this is an ad, by the way, if you know how to play bass or guitar, uh, we need one, probably another one, but they're going to be working on it for, this, uh, for Labor Day because so many people are going to be gone. We've got like four ba- people in the band, but no bass player. I used to play bass 35 years ago. <laughs> And so they knew that, and they were all back there trying to say, Labor Day, it would be so cool, Pastor, we'll play with you. And I'm going like, I know my limits. I have not even touched a bass in over 20 years. I said, we, we, we expect a certain level of professionalism and quality up here, and I ain't it. Okay. I'm teachable. I know my limits. I know I don't know. If I was cocky, I would say, sure, I'll pick up the bass and play because I used to play a long time ago. And it's still in my head. It's not in my fingers, but it's still in my head. James 1.19 says, everybody should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I love that verse. This is one of my favorite verses. It tells us how to control your temper. If you do the first two, if you're quick to listen, slow to speak... Guess what? The third one comes automatically. But if you're slow to listen and quick to speak, you'll be quick to anger. You need to listen. Use your ears. Be teachable, not unreachable. Let me ask you this. When your mate, let's just get real personal here. When your mate makes a suggestion to you about something, how do you respond? Several people said they were convicted highly of that first service. You know, I, I said... Don't con- conf- I'm not a priest. I'm, don't confess your sins to me. Okay, but the deal is this. The deal is this. You know, when your mate con- says something constructive to you, how do you respond? Do you, get out of my face, woman. Is that how you respond? Remember, this is about relationships, this series is. And the thing is, is do you get uptight? Do you become defensive? Or somebody, when, when a supervisor, when somebody at work, when somebody, when your kids say something to you, do you become defensive about everything? Are you unteachable? Are you open or closed to new ideas? You know, I've talked to a lot of people, and the wisest people I know are people who are the most eager, most willing to learn. I honestly believe there's never, I've never met a person that I couldn't learn from. Will Rogers used to say, I've never met a, ma- met a man I didn't like. I don't know how that works. But I've honestly thought about this. There's probably never, not a person I haven't come across somewhere along the way that I can't learn from. Um, see, everyone, 
<laughs> I used to love what one person said. They kind of said things backward. I, you know, like I said, well, I go, there's some areas I, I know something about, but a lot of areas I don't. Uh, one, one author, I don't know who did it, said, everyone is ignorant just on different subjects, <laughs> which is true, right? <laughs> and we have to be honest about that. We don't know everything about everything. So how, how do we deal with that? Well, one of the things in Proverbs 20, 20 verse 5 says, says counsel, counsel in the heart of a man is like a deep well, but a man of understanding will do what? It will draw it out. If you want to be, if you want to be a person who, in a real sense, uh, is teachable, what you want to do is you want to, is you want to, in a real sense, you want to need to learn to ask questions, learn to draw it out. This, about a week ago, we had our denominational convention. We're a part of a small denomination called the Fellowship of Evangelical Churches. And we meet together every year as a convention. It's only like 55 churches now, but a lot of them are new churches and a lot of them are older churches. And there's pastors from all different backgrounds and staff and stuff. And, and one of the time, most of the time I spent, I was in, we had some great speakers this year. And this year it was just over at Northwoods Community Church. And we had churches from all, all these different uh, states come in and, and we were there together. And, and it's a small enough denomination where I can know almost all the pastors fairly well. And the interesting thing is, when we get together, I spend a lot of time just networking with folks, just talking to folks. You know what I do? I don't care if it's, it's the 22-year-old church, 22-year-old church planner I was talking to or, or the 68-year-old guy that's been in ministry at the same church for 30 years. I ask them questions, and then I listen. Some of the questions I ask them, and I always do this, are things like, have you learned, uh, uh, are, are things um, like, what are the most important decisions you've ever had to make in ministry? I ask them those questions. Then I just listen, not trying to give them advice. Or, or what are the five books that have made the biggest difference in your life? Why? And then things like, how do you manage your time? Because you can allow yourself to become so, I mean, ministry never ends. And if you don't have a balance in life, you don't learn to manage your time in a way that honors God and honors your family, you'll be a mess. So I ask people those questions, these guys. And I, I mean, I spent a lot of time with one guy, uh, Dave Reimer, uh, who's pastor over in Kansas. And he's been at the same church for 30 years. And he's, he's, he's like seven years older than I am. He's like 68 now. And he's still got a lot of fire and enthusiasm for ministry. And the thing that's cool about Dave is that about five years ago, he decided that the church, that God, that they had grown to about, they're a little bit bigger than us. Uh, as a church, and they were talking about how can, we, how can we continue to expand God's kingdom, and they said the only way we can do that is plant churches. And so at 60, uh, 62 or 3 years old, he led a drive in his church for them in a real, to begin the process of planting other churches. So Dave has a, is a man after my own heart. And, and as I was talking to him, I just listened to him. Dave, how did, you, how did you maintain enthusiasm for ministry after 30 years at one church? How do, you, how do you still have, let God work in your life? And I was listening to him because I want to learn from that guy because I can learn a lot from somebody like that. And he's still going strong. Well, the thing is, is that, you know, things like that is that we need to learn to ask questions. We can't be um, unteachable. I love what it says also in Proverbs 13, 18. It says this, whoever heeds correction is honored. It doesn't say whoever knows it all is honored. Whoever heeds correction is honored. I love the quote I saw a few weeks ago. I wrote down, it says, I'd rather change, I'd rather change my mind and succeed than have my own way and fail. Might want to put that on the refrigerator. 
I'd rather change my mind and succeed than have my own way and fail. A gentle person, and this is what it's describing, a gentle person is not a wimp. A gentle person is understanding, not demanding, gentle, uh, not judgmental, teachable, not unreachable. And number five, when somebody hurts you, another aspect of gentleness, when somebody hurts you, be an actor, not a reactor. It means you take the initiative. Um, Romans 12, 21 says, do not overcome do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I've learned this, and probably you've learned this as well. If you've not experienced it already, you will. The fact of life is you will be hurt sometime in your life. Sometimes it's by people closest to you. Sometimes it's people that, that are trying to hurt you intentionally. You will have, life is full of hurts because we live in a broken world. The gentleness issue is how do you respond to that? How do you respond to people that hurt you? Our normal reaction sometimes is to retaliate, to get even. Get even. We're, you know, it's sad that some of our most creative thinking comes in this realm. How to get even. We're incredibly creative in regard to how to get even. If we would take the same energy and use it creatively to do some po positive things, the world would be changed. But so often we don't. We retaliate. To retaliate is to react. But to respond with forgiveness, even when they haven't asked for it, is to act. It's to take the initiative. There's a guy named John Powell that wrote a book years ago. It's called, Why Am I Afraid to Tell You Who I Am? And he said, and one of the things in the book, and I was reading the excerpt from it, it said he was walking down the street with a friend, uh, John Powell was, and they stopped to get a paper. It was in a major city, and it was one of those newsstands. This was years ago. I don't know if they even still have them in cities like that, you know, in Chicago and places like that. Newsstands where they sell a bunch of newspapers and magazines. Papers, paper prints going out of business now. But the reality is, you see, when they was walking down the street, and they stopped to get a paper. And this was the same route this friend of his went every day. And the man selling the paper was grumpy, and he was discourteous, and he was rude. And John Powell said his friend, as he was walking away, said to the man, you have a nice day now. And after they got out of earshot with his friend, John asked, asked his friend, he said, is that man always that rude to you? And he said, always. And then he said, are you always that nice to him? He said, yeah. I'm not going to let one man and his attitude ruin my day. See, gentleness is strength under control. It's being an actor, not a reactor. It's choosing how you respond to other people. Uh, Booker T. Washington, um, uh, the great black scientist in history, faced prejudice all of his life. And he wrote a lot of stuff, too, and he said this. He says, I will never allow another man to control or ruin my life by making me hate him. So when you, say to a per when you say something like, you make me mad, you're admitting that they are controlling your emotions. The other person has the power to control your emotions. The more, more, moment you start retaliating, that you start seeking revenge, that you start trying to get even, you give up control of your life, you become a reactor and not an actor. And Jesus said, the person who is gentle and, and lives their life in gentleness is one who has strength under control. They know how to let it go. One of the clearest examples of that is, is found in the Old Testament, a guy named Moses. In Numbers chapter 12, and if you want to read a really interesting story there, it's kind of like 
brutal. Some of the Old Testament stuff is really brutal. <laughs> but uh, it's a good story about this. And in and, and Numbers chapter 12, Moses was being criticized and insulted and put down. And you know why he was being criticized and insulted and put down? And who was doing it? It was his brother and his sister, Moses' brother and sister. And the reason was because he had married this lady named Zipporah, and she was of, of a different race than he was. This interracial marriage. And so they were putting her down, and, and she was uh, most likely a black lady because she was an Ethiopian. And so they were griping. And Moses, but Moses, if you read the story, Moses refused to defend himself. And basically he said, God, I'm, not going, to, I'm, I'm going to let you take care of this in your own way. I'm not going to uh, uh, lash back at my brother and my sister who are giving me such grief and giving my wife such grief. And God did. Now, I don't know what you think about, does God cause things or does he allow things to happen? Regardless, it happened. Right after that, his sister Miriam. <laughs> uh, I wonder if God said to Miriam, you know, you like white skin? How about a lot of it? And he gave her leprosy. Moses didn't say a word. He didn't retaliate. He just allowed, he was gentle. Strength under control. See, gentleness is the ability to handle a hurt without retaliating. The best definition of gentleness, in the, I believe, in the Bible is in Proverbs 16.32. It says, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his own spirit than the one who captures a city. What determines your emotions? Can you control your own emotions or does somebody else? Are you a reactor or an actor? It's your choice. See, Jesus promised us. He said, happy are the people who can control their, their reactions for they will inherit the earth. He called them the meek. The world is yours. The, the person who has self-control of his emotions and his emotional world, and we're going to talk about this in our series in the fall and transform. God wants to control your emotions. Transform your emotions so that they won't control you, but will allow you to, to work through them. You know, I'm always amazed at people and how far they'll go with this. Because, you know, it's one thing with Moses and his sister and, and all this stuff, but probably one of the greatest examples is back in World War II. During, uh, during World War II, there was a guy named Viktor Frankl. He was a world-famous uh, psychiatrist. Uh, he went through Auschwitz. And um, he said, this is what he said after going through Auschwitz. He said, the Germans, they took my clothes, my wife, my kids, my wedding ring. He said, I stood naked before the SS and I realized that they can take everything in my life, but they cannot take my freedom to choose how I respond to them. How does somebody do that? Only with God's Spirit controlling them and directing their lives. It's not because they just get tough. So how do you react to people? How do you choose? Do you choose to be a reactor or you, uh, to those people who uh, hurt you, or do you choose to act out and say, God, I'm not going to let them control the direction of what I do and how I respond to them? See, Jesus is saying that happiness belongs to people with self-control. You're going, like, well, that leaves me out because I can't do that. I can't control my reactions. The good news is this whole series has been about not about how you control any of these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, all these things. It's about the, allowing the Holy Spirit to control your life and produce in your life all these things. That's good news. 
Because God can do it in all of our lives regardless of where we are right now. And he wants to do that in our life. And the outcome is kind of like what we see in 2 Timothy 1.7. It says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, talking about this gentleness issue, but of power, of love, and self-discipline. God says, when I put my spirit in you, I don't turn you into a wimp. That's not, not what gentleness means. He says, the, the result of my spirit con- controlling your life is power, love, and self-discipline. The secret of controlling your reaction is letting God's spirit fill your life moment by moment. La- Next week, we're going to finish up this series by talking about the whole thing of self-control to more extreme. But today, as we talk about gentleness, we're talking about power controlled by love. That's, what's, that's what uh, gentleness is. And Jesus is the prime example of that. The prime example of that. If you talk about the lifestyle of Jesus Christ, he's hanging on a cross. He's hanging on a cross. Now think about this. And the Bible says he could have called down from heaven thousands of angels. Like this angel army. We sing a song called about God's angel army, you know? You ever thought about Jesus, what he could do if he wanted to? And he could have wiped out everybody because he was God in human form. He could have blown up the world, but it was power controlled by love. That was gentleness. This is the happy, relaxed, stress-reduced type of lifestyle that God wants us to have. You roll with the punches. Things don't fluster you because you're in control of your reactions, even though you can't control the situation. And today, some of you are stressed out. You're stressed out by the, all the circumstances around you. You're stressed out by relationships. What do you need more than anything else? I believe what you need to do is develop the quality of gentleness. Let the Holy Spirit begin to work in you and develop this quality of gentleness, of controlling your reactions empowered by the Spirit of God. Because one of the things that God wants to do in our life is help us to become people who have strength under control. Let's pray. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed right now, I'd ask if you would just pray this simple prayer in your heart. Jesus Christ, I need your spirit of power in my life. I need your spirit of love and I need your spirit of self-control. I ask you to put your spirit in me. And this morning I will ask you, if you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, ask him to come in. You don't have to have any special words. There's not a special formula prayer that you do. You simply say, Jesus, I need you in my life. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I I allow the situations around me to control my reactions. And I I don't want to do that anymore. And so simply say to Jesus, I don't understand it all, but Jesus Christ, I need you to help me. This next week when people serve me, help me to be understanding, especially at home. And Jesus Christ, when people disappoint me, help me to be gentle and not judgmental. And when people disagree with me, help me to be tender without surrender. And you don't have to give in to your convictions, but you have to, don't have to be argumentative either. And when people want to correct me and offer suggestions, help me to be teachable and not unreachable. And Lord, when people hurt me, help me to, to be an, uh, an actor, not a reactor, to choose to respond with love and forgiveness and not react in retaliation but to leave leave that God to you Jesus Christ I want to be like you and I need your help and your power in my life to do just that now as we continue in that spirit of prayer this morning I'd ask if if you prayed that prayer and you asked Jesus to come into your heart I believe God heard you and he knows what's in your heart he knows what's in your heart and in your mind even before you say it 
And I would invite you to let me or someone else know about the decision that you've made to follow him, to take the next step you need to. And in doing so, what you can do is we want to encourage you to connect with somebody else that can help you in your journey with God. I believe, uh, folks, I, I, do, I practice what I preach. And every week, almost every week, I have somebody in my life that I sit down with and I'm accountable to. And I say, hey, these are the things going on in my life. And I want to share it. I want you to pray with me, hold me accountable. And that person does the same thing with me. And then I have a small group of guys that I meet with on a regular basis. And those same guys, we can share together and we, and we grow together and we encourage one another and we lift each other up and we share defeats and our successes. And, and in doing so, God, it helps me to stay on track with you, God. So we need other people in our life and people need to know the decisions, not just simply decisions we make in our head, but we need to put those out to other people who will help us to grow, God. So I would encourage this morning, if you're in the process of making a decision, if you've made a decision to follow Christ or to take your next step somewhere, that you would simply just um, give us a call at the office or write down on the welcome card or the, the thing in the, in the bulletin, the tag, the tab there, and, and, and just turn it in so that people can encourage you, God, uh, encourage you wherever, whatever step you've taken with God. Father, I thank you for your word. Apply it to our lives and help us to be like Jesus. We pray these things in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.